Hey, y'all, we wanted to share with you some of the fun we've been having over on Patreon. If you're looking for the perfect gift for yourself or that special Sinisterhood listener in your life, an annual subscription to our Patreon is the gift that keeps on giving. In this Best Of segment, we're bringing you short clips from some of our Patreon bonus content so you get an idea of what you get when you sign up to support the show. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, head to the link in the episode description or to Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top menu. In this peek, you'll hear a clip from our advice segment, Dear Sinister, where we help out a listener struggling to trust her man. Then you'll hear us give our hot takes on being late versus being on time in our Unpopular Opinions segment. Next, we have clips from our October Q&A live stream and our live stream performance of another round of Unpopular Opinions. Patreon subscribers get to watch video versions of these segments live and participate with us via the chat. You'll hear us in the Q&A answer a question about Britney Spears' newfound freedom, and then you'll hear us discuss the merits of pizza temperatures in Unpopular Opinions Live. Finally, you'll hear a clip from our mini-sub this month, where we revisit the story of Annabelle the Doll and make some disturbing discoveries about Ed and Lorraine Warren. In addition to the Q&A and Unpopular Opinion live streams, we added other video content this month as well, including bonus video of us reacting to Zach Guilford's cameo appearance at the Houston Live Show. It was epic. It was amazing. (laughs) You also get to watch a video of us screaming our way through the Palace of Wax, where we get so scared that I inadvertently (laughs) smack Heather in the head. It was very funny, and it was even funnier to rewatch it. (laughs) Definitely worth being punched in the head just to bring the laugh to you guys. (laughs) So to hear full episodes of all the segments in this and to see all of our videos, head to the link in the episode description. Go to SinisterHood.com, click Patreon in the top banner. You get details on all the benefits, and you can subscribe today. Dear Sinister. Yes. This is this, <laughs> Yes. This is a segment where we take in your questions about advice, personal relationships, uh roommate problems, work problems, life, life choices. Life. Whatever anything. you got. We're happy to hear. Mm-hmm. We're happy for you. So we've had several been submitted through our form, which we appreciate. That's the best way is to go to sinisterhood.com and there's a thing at the bottom that says I think it's like sinister.com slash sinister. Yeah, you can submit to either Patreon stuff or submit an episode topic. And there's two different forms, and it's been like life changing. Thank you so guys thanks to everyone. for following our request. It's been life changing. So these are all from the form. So um, let's get into them. Uh, the first one, uh, we always ask what name we can call you on air, and this person asked to be called Ti. Okay. Which they said stands for trust issues. Oh, I thought it was the uh, rapper. It is, actually. Uh, well, we don't know. We can't tell. But if so, T.I., we got some advice <laughs> for you. I'm having trouble trusting my boyfriend, henceforth referred to as BF. He's wonderful, and we've been together for almost two years and have known each other since middle school. We're both in our mid-20s. He's my best friend and a great partner, but there have been two incidents that have made it difficult for me to trust him. The first was in the beginning of our relationship, when BF visited Mexico with our friend. The friend wanted to go to a strip club, and BF checked with me to see how I'd feel about that. I knew our friend was feeling down, and I thought I could trust BF, so I told him it was fine with me as long as he didn't get any dances. I support sex work, but personally, I'm monogamous, and I would not want either of us to partake in sex work. When BF returned from the trip, he was recounting his night when he mentioned that he grabbed a stripper's ass. Now, in this country... Uh, it's illegal to touch exotic dancers. 
but I didn't think I had to tell him not to grope someone else, regardless even if someone who is being paid to be there. I felt like that crossed a line, and I told him so through tears. He deeply and sincerely apologized. I already had non-existent self-esteem and had been cheated on in the past, so it has taken me a long time to heal from this incident, despite his sincere apologies and all the love that he's shown me. Things were great between us until a month or so ago when he was drinking with his friends at a friend's house and a girl started obviously flirting with him. He said he wasn't interested in her, but he gave her his phone number and her Instagram and his Instagram when asked, quote, so it wouldn't be awkward. He told me that he blocked her afterwards. It hurt, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt, seeing as how he has social anxiety. Then, a week later, when we were hanging out with a friend, he recounts the story with details he had left out, like he told the friend he had initially texted the girl back, and that when she left, she ran her hands up his back during a hug. He hadn't told me that when he was telling me about the night initially. I couldn't help but think he was hiding something from me. I talked to him about it, and he swears he just forgot about that info. He seemed sincere, so I'm trying to get over it. But with these two incidents in mind, it's hard for me to trust him. How do I even know he's telling the whole truth? How can I trust that he doesn't act single when I'm not around? It's all I can think about to the point that I have recurring nightmares about Mm. him cheating. I can't afford therapy right now, so I've been journaling. I just don't know how to move forward. Sometimes I wonder if the trust can ever be repaired. Sure, he didn't actually cheat, but he betrayed my trust nonetheless, and I don't know what he can do to earn it back. He's wonderful in almost every other way. I want to forgive him, and I want to trust him, but I don't know how. Oh, poor thing. I If oh, you had seen... My reactions that I sat straight up in my chair about mm-hmm. he left out the detail that uh, she ran his hands up his back. That's Mm-mm. texting her back. Mm-mm. OK, there's I a lot here to unpack the grabbing of the stripper's ass. Not ideal. What's so strange with all of these is that he tells the girlfriend. Yeah. Well, and my concern is like, are you telling me or are you half truth yeah. telling me? So later, and then you gaslight me and be like, I don't know. I just yeah. forgot, but I told you about everything. And are you telling me to see how I react because you're kind of testing the waters? Are you accidentally telling me like you slip up and you meant not to tell me and it just kind of came out because that's a very, um, ballsy thing to tell your girlfriend like yeah and then i got a lap dance and grabbed a stripper's ass yeah unless it's very clear that like your girlfriend is okay with that and it's not an issue but it does not sound like that is the type of relationship that they have no and i have friends who are i mean who run the gamut in their relationships from like friends who are ethically non-monogamous with their spouses i have friends who are monogamous but also like going to both the male and the female strip clubs together and like their spouse to get dances Mm -hmm. and that's but they're all on board with it you gotta you gotta both be on board with it and also like it's not well i promise i'm only gonna do this Mm -hmm. like a tiny thing i'm just gonna go but then also i did you get home and then you go but also i did this this and this and this and then you didn't even tell Mm -hmm. them all the things that you actually did And then you start wondering problem well if he left that detail out what else got left out was there a private room involved did he get a lap dance and he's not telling me Mm -hmm. i mean champagne room yeah a champagne room that's real huh i think it's real 
You think it's real? I've always heard about the Chris Rock song, There's No Sex in the Champagne Room. Uh, I don't know if that's real, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably probably different in different places. There's there There are private rooms for sure. I feel like there's a lot of red flags. And if you yeah. are to the point where... This one, this may also, this may divide the show. Oh, no. Being significantly early is just as rude as being okay. late. Okay. I feel personally attacked right now. Um, I've been personally attacked by Paris. So it says, I will give context to this opinion. It says, it's okay if you wait in your car and then come in at a set time or just a few seconds early. No problem with that. But society, especially the current work environment, congratulates and encourages being early to everything. It forces the person who's receiving the visitor, who might not be ready for you, even if they're not just mentally ready, to rush just because you decided to show up outside of the agreed upon time. I think it is just as disrespectful, if not more, to their time as lateness would be. At least it, when someone is late, the person with whom they were meeting was expecting them anyway and had adequate time to prepare. Man, I agree with this. As someone who tends to be late, <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever been like obnoxiously early to something, but... If I'm like throwing a party or something, it reminds me of that episode the of The Office where Michael yes. shows up and she's like in a towel, like her yeah. hair's in a towel. And it's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I need to get ready. <laughs> yes, that stresses me out so bad if people show up early because you are like, I like to have like the house like totally clean. I want my candles lit. I want mm -hmm. like all the food out the way I want it. I want the music on. You know what I mean? I got mm -hmm. a whole vibe I'm trying to set. And if they show up in the middle of that, it's like you ruined the reveal I'm trying to do. But also I now feel like I got to like entertain you, mm -mm. but I'm still like trying to do a bunch of other stuff. No, I would agree with if you show up to a place unannounced prior to your time that is bizarre behavior i have had this happen to me before where i have thrown a party and someone showed up a half hour to 45 minutes early that's so and it early is... and they didn't tell you no so it's one thing like normally when i throw my halloween bash leanne comes over at like noon mm -hmm. on the day of to like help me set up or gypsy will come over and james her husband will come over you know an hour or two early or even 30 minutes early but, like, we know that. And it, mm -hmm. the purpose is, hey, I'm going to bring ice. Yeah. But there have been people who are not inner circle, like, see you at your worst is fine to see you in your yeah. towel, who show up and you're, it is exactly like the office where mm -hmm. you're like, what do I do with this yeah. potato salad? I, I, I would never, if I, when I show up early to places, I'm constantly try to be 15 to 20 minutes early to everything, but I sit in a quiet place and write in my notebook or answer emails. Stay in your or, car stay in my car yeah. or, and I probably wouldn't, if it was a party and I was early to a party, I would park blocks away so they wouldn't even see me. So you didn't stress them out. Yes. Yeah, so you don't stress mm -hmm. them out and like drive away. Here's where my house is divided. We were going to a party at my sister's house and it started at eight and I wanted to get there at eight because first of all, that's when it started. Second of all, I usually help her because she's my sister. And mm -hmm. third of all, it gets really busy with a lot of people around. And so I don't get to necessarily talk to her, my brother-in-law, mm -hmm. as much because they're hosting the party. And I'm like, oh, I want to visit with them. Well, Paris has party time. Like in his brain, you cannot show up to a party more or any earlier than 30 minutes after the start time. 
So if the start time's 8, he's saying 8.30 is the earliest you can get there. That is his opinion. Okay. Is that party time is separate than like we're meeting for dinner and we have reservations at 8. In that case, you meet at 8 or whatever, mm-hmm, reasonably mm-hmm. around 8. But he was like, it's a party. It is unhinged to show up on time to a party like it's very rude i had to explain this is a special exception that it is my sister Mm -hmm. that i am very comfortable in her house and like would easily just walk in her bedroom and use her bathroom you know what i mean like not the guest bathroom kind of thing but so he conceded that when it's intimate close family members it's different but going to a regular party he wouldn't even show up until like 30 minutes late is that because he thinks it's rude or because he thinks it's dorky to show up on time because <laughs> as a party thrower if i said my time was starting at eight i wouldn't find it rude if someone started at eight in fact i'd be like great because like you've thrown parties before and you're yes. like it's eight o'clock it's eight thirty, and nobody's here is anybody gonna yes. come to my party you get you know? really sad and also all the food that you pre-warmed is now getting room yeah. temperature well, the and you're like all psyched too up hot. and stuff. And yeah, so like, I don't mind people being on time, but I totally also get that like the types of parties we go to, it is more of like, like a baby shower, I'm showing up on time too. Yeah. If it's like a kegger at somebody's house, that's kind of a like suggested start time. Yeah. Yeah. So I get it, but I, where I would disagree with Paris is I don't think it's rude to show up at eight i think that because he and i share some of the same uh early early 20s party traits that it's more of like on our side like it's kind of like nerdy to show up on time because it's like you were just waiting for this party to start but if you start (laughs) show up like 30 minutes late you're like i had stuff i was doing and then i just like showed up (laughs) that is i'm don't don't even get me wrong i'm painfully aware that i'm intimately connected with two extremely cool people (laughs) no 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 no, no, no. i'm not saying because i am a a huge dork of cool because the thing is we really Now we have another discussion. Would love to hear both of your thoughts on the end of the Britney Spears conservatorship. Hashtag freed Britney. Love, love the that new team. Charlie Danger. I'm sorry. I didn't see who the other one was from, but thank you for that one too. Um, or no, this is from Isha. Charlie commented. Yes. What do you think about it, Heather? Well, I think it's great. I'm, from a legal perspective, it was the right thing to do. Uh, my only concern is kind of what we talked about on the show as far as on the, one of the many things we covered it was, you know, when the line is drawn between being an eccentric celebrity and people being like, they got to lock them up. And she, I think, is going to struggle with just First of all, everyday life. I mean, she straight up said in her testimony, I don't know how to get money out of a bank. I haven't driven a car in 10 years. I haven't. So I think there's going to be certain things that she's struggling with and hopefully, you know, getting whatever resources she needs, uh, you know, uh, a personal assistant or having Sam help or whatever, um, because she clearly seeks and she has a thirst for independence. But Mm -hmm. I think that it would be a damn shame if within uh, six months less more however long she does something bonkers and everyone's like looks like everyone was wrong and she can't just do what any other celebrity would probably have done you know like 
some kind of gaff or whatever. And it's going to be, so I think that it's all the energy everybody put into like free Britney is like also help remind people, respect her, like what drove Mm -hmm. her to the vulnerable position that she was put in that let her dad take advantage of her was a lot of media scrutiny. And I think the benefit now with social media is she does have this one, like, closer relationship with her fans and she seems like she reads comments and stuff that when it is overwhelmingly positive that it is going to benefit her i just would hate to see the flip side that the paparazzi that's what katie says the paparazzi be hounding her again you know if they start going after her or whatever then we're right back where we started so i think if we like we said as a society say okay when someone asks scarlett johansson about their her panties we're going to say fuck those people we have to mm-hmm. promise ourselves we're going to do the same. That when TMZ's like, we got Britney Spears looking crazy, we're going to be like, fuck you, TMZ. We don't want to see that. We don't want to hear that. We want her to be supported and respected. And we need to keep riding this wave of support. Yeah. At the, yeah. The fight doesn't end just with getting her out of it. Like it continue now, like almost the, the real fight starts because it's uh-huh. like being reintroduced to society. Yeah. So well, and it's just with anybody. Her fiance seems wonderful, which he does by yes. all accounts. I haven't seen anything that also super um, uh, good. Good job, Britt. Well, like with anybody that comes up, you know, comes out of a, a tough situation, whether it's actual jail, a conservatorship, mental health treatment facility, you can't just dump them out into the world. So I hope she's getting supports and services and things that she needs to help mm-hmm. her now be able to regain control of her life because she like pretty much has been under her dad's control since she was 16 and probably has like emotional stunted growth and needs to a make mistakes without everybody talking shit about her and then b have literal like coaching like here's how a bank Mm -hmm. works this is a debit card here's you know and like let her know all that Mm -hmm. somebody said or uh jenna said do celebrities have any legal standing to keep the paparazzi away really only in uh like a private place if you're out on the street on their private property or something yeah it's a free-for-all that's why you see a lot of like those telephoto lenses like from the streets um of somebody in their uh you know backyard or whatever and it's because they can if they see them i mean they probably are still not supposed to do that same with like uh drones and stuff like that but no if you're especially if you're out on the street pretty much no free game it's free game yeah and then what What's wild is that they own those pictures. So like with the Lisa yep. Rinna mm-hmm. stuff, like yep. even if they take a picture of you and you try to post it, uh-huh. they can sue you, which is what's happening with Lisa Rinna right now. So copyright infringement. You can't even, yeah. the only picture of your, like an embarrassing picture of you or whatever, you can't even like repost it. You had to pay them. Aaron said, my hair looks super duper soft, uh, shiny and soft. Thank you. Pros. I use pros hair care shampoo. <laughs> and that's why it's all shiny. Tommy said, if you're keeping track, we've had a hot guy mentioned in every live Q&A. I guess Tommy's <laughs> keeping track. <laughs> um, yeah, protect Brittany. That's what. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. That's exactly what it needs to be now is hashtag protect Brittany. So, for yeah, but sure. I'm super glad for her. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like her life starts over now and a new life at least. So I hope that it's everything she wishes it had been for the past 15 years. And I'm curious to see 
if any, if she will like sue her family or if now she'll be like, all right, well, I got what I wanted. So I'm done. Or if she's like, nah, it's just beginning bitches. I think it's going to be, hopefully it'll be scorched earth. And again, her choice of counsel was not, here's a Mm. probate attorney. It was, here's a pit bull who sues the shit out of people. And we would always be, uh, I think we would all be behind that. Mm -hmm. Oh, Brown brothers coming in for each other. Paris said, yeah, Tommy, you. Oh, nice. Oh gosh. Jenna brought up a good point. If someone follows me around all day, it's stalking. But if someone follows Brittany, it's a career. Yeah. Is that just part of when you become a, a public figure, you kind of sign some of your privacy rights away? Yeah, that's kind of what, uh, you know, if someone wants to write about my random neighbor and tell her personal details, that's not really news. So then she may have some kind of claim to privacy versus, you know, once you become someone in the public eye, you do open yourself up to being newsworthy, essentially. It's like running for office or whatever. Um, So it does. I don't think that they're allowed to, you know, harass her, grab her. What we saw before, I think that. Her situation was uniquely exploitive because the paparazzi was exploiting her. And then she was not, I don't think, equipped to come back at them in a way that would have been really aggressive uh, that maybe you would see some other celebrities nowadays might, you know, want to you know sue them for getting too close or stalking them or hitting their car or whatever well when all that was happening to her you know jamie was if not already in charge at least uh you know she's free wink wink jamie didn't have a conservatorship but he was still pulling all the strings and if she's like i want to sue this paparazzi well he probably wanted her to have that exposure didn't care the cost and would be like no we're not suing anybody shut up and she just like openly admitted she doesn't understand like how very basic mm-hmm. things work, much less being like, I'm going to get a lawyer and I'm yeah. going to sue them and I'm going to tell them to stop. And it's like, you know, essentially, I think some of them were harassing her. They were going beyond the scope of a normal paparazzi, paparazzo. And uh, she may have had some sort of claim back then. But again, she was not empowered to, to do anything to defend herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jane said she's hinting that she's doing an Oprah interview. I would she love did. to see that. Nice. Awesome. Um, all right. Let's see what we've got next. From Elizabeth, death row final meal. Tomatoes are not supposed to be stored in the refrigerator or leftover cake. It's not supposed to be stored oh, in the refrigerator. Uh, okay. I got opinions about this. Okay. I'm going to start answering. I'm doing the cake one, but we'll do tomatoes too. This is from Amber Wilcox. Um, I feel the same way about like rolls. And, uh, like muffins and stuff. Like anything that's going to harden those. Yes. Yes. We had Popeye's chicken the other night and there were biscuits from there. And Tommy put them in the refrigerator at the end of the night. And then the next day they'd been in the fridge. I was like, what? I just leave those on the counter. And same with, same with cake. I just put Tommy and leave it on the counter. Former food service industry though Mm -hmm. i wonder if his brain my ex was all about food safety and had taken this like exam you have to take to be a manager of places and he was like bacteria repopulates at this much per minute and if you leave it out on the counter there's going to be bacteria on the food i was like whatever i don't put shit away (laughs) i have eaten pizza that has stayed out on the counter all all night hours yeah yeah it doesn't i'm like if this is what kills me let me go I will die doing what I love, eating room temperature pizza. 
Uh, right. We shouldn't have had leftover biscuits. Um, do you like cold pizza better than if you have leftover pizza and you put it in the fridge, when you go to eat it, are you eating it cold straight out the box or are you heating it up? Toaster oven every time. Here's the thing. Toaster oven. Oh. No, I go, I raw dog it in the toaster oven. Paris hates it. There's shit all in the toaster oven. He always puts, uh, tin foil, but I go, <laughs> Raw dog right in the toaster oven, right on the metal grate. And so it gets real heated up. There's cheese everywhere. Uh, I was laughing because Amber said I warmed my sandwich up in the stove. <laughs> I got to try that out. I, uh, you know what? That's our, our pioneer ancestors would be proud. Um, pizza is uh, the way I will eat it cold. If I oh, have I will. pizza coming out of the fridge, mm-hmm. I prefer it cold. Rarely do I heat it back up. Yeah. And same with Ella. She likes, she, Ella likes cold, like, she'll like eat macaroni and cheese cold. She likes all sorts of stuff cold. I like cold I, pepperoni pizza opinion. with ranch. Oh, okay. I don't like pepperoni. So, oh, um, uh, here's an unpopular opinion. Perhaps. I think a lot of foods that nor that are cooked are better when cold than when hot. That is unpopular. I think, I think the flavor comes out in them sometimes more. Well, like Candace said, cold pizza. mac and cheese, which I recoiled at, cold but then realized pasta salad is essentially cold mac mm-hmm. and cheese. Yeah. So I yeah, don't know why true. I was so taken aback by that. Yeah. And they're uh, essentially the pizza. same thing. Let's see. What else have we got? And I also <laughs> think... Toaster oven is good for the pizza because the microwave just makes it soggy. Tommy will put it in the oven. I don't have yeah oven. I I don't have time for the oven, but that's why I go to the toaster oven. Yeah, Tommy will make microwave meals in the oven. He will spin. He will put them in there and like plan like forty five minutes. They cook in the oven, and I'm like, with that kind of time, you could just make a meal. If there's something on I the back that we're says... Very, we're very divided on that. What well, says microwave instructions, microwave for four minutes, oven instructions, put in the oven for two and a half hours. Yeah. Why would you ever choose the second yeah. one? I would never. I would never. I have never. Tommy will because <laughs> oh. he says it tastes way better. I'm like, I don't care enough about these Amy's enchiladas to spend Bake an hour of <laughs> And if I'm doing like a microwave deal, deal then... It's probably because I just, like, decided right then I was hungry. I'm not mm-hmm. like, you know what? In an hour, I'm really going to savor this Totino's pizza. <laughs> no, I need it now. Although Totino's, I, I would do a Totino's pizza Totino's on the I oven. Totino's I would put in the oven because that doesn't... Gotta go. Raw dog it on the rack. No no pan. Okay. This is well, from we t- Montana. Seltzers taste like previous There are videos as old as, like I said, 2000, where Tony is interviewing them and says, I'm Tony Sparrow. I'm Ed and Lorraine's son-in-law. And then now that they have both passed away, he's kind of taking the, the reins and is milking that doll for whatever it's worth. Do he and his wife get money from these movies? So that would that's the terms of the deal that I'm not – nobody is privy to. You know, that's like something that would be secret. Um not secret, but confidential. Mm-hmm. I imagine, though, with my 
very my what time is it 6 p.m i just finished my first um law class on <laughs> film distribution and rights law mm-hmm. that's something you can ask for is that you get money up front for your life rights and then you also ask for a percentage on the back end if they were smart enough to ask for that i'm assuming it would probably go into some type of trust that would be live beyond them mm-hmm. and yeah you would probably get it would now that i've seen how movies are made or not how movies are made but like the financial waterfall of how much you get paid for a movie. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of people who have hands in the pot that are grabbing their share of it. So for a billion dollar movie, the Lorraine Ed and Lorraine Warren's family is not getting a billion dollars. Oh, no, no, no. But they are probably getting multi millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe in the fifties. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna turn down one million dollars, much less Hell no. the forty, fifty million dollars. So it could be somewhere in there. I will say on the flip side, if they made so much money from this why would they be selling tickets to see the Annabelle doll? That's a good point. Like, why would you be at the Courtyard Marriott being mm-hmm. like, does anybody want to see the doll? Like, when you just outsource the museum to someone else. So in my mind, maybe they didn't make a very good deal because if you didn't know if the Conjuring movie was going to be any good, like you didn't know if James Wan and, you know, the actors were going to be so beloved. And you said, you know, we'll sell our life rights for this one single story. Annabelle separate. And now that the movie studio knows it's going to make a gajillion dollars, they give you like a much smaller slice of it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Lorraine, I think that the fee was like $500,000 per movie for her to act as a uh, consultant on it. So that, like they're not hurting for money, but I would say they're probably not gajillionaires because he's out like, come on down and buy your ticket. It makes me think of Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> like, he may on. also like the attention. Also that too. It could just be nothing having to do with money and he, mm-hmm. he just likes the attention. But well, yeah, so they, what do um, we think? Yeah, I would say, you know, there was a, in one of the interviews for The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Which we saw together and we filmed a little thing afterwards about yeah. it. Yeah. And I, oh, I'm and thinking get, of La Llorona, but we also did see we also did The see Devil, the Devil made, made Me Do It together. It was my um, least favorite. Uh, well, I don't know if I saw the second one. The first Conjuring I thought was legit scary. And uh-huh. then the subsequent ones I did not find as scary. And I've never seen any of the Annabelle movies. And they had a whole discussion about, you know, you can't use a Raggedy Ann doll for purposes of, Mm -hmm. you know, IP. Raggedy Ann company is not going to be like, please make our doll into a demon. The Um, Annabelle doll in the movie looks way creepier than the real Annabelle doll. And to me, that makes it less scary because if somebody gave you that busted ass freak doll, you'd be like... Get the fuck out of I'm here. That thing's haunted. Yeah, I don't but care if it never doll, moves. You're like, oh, it looks harmless. My entire room when I was little, like little, little, was Raggedy Ann and Rag- Raggedy Ann and Andy themed. We had one big, we had like this doll when I was yeah. a kid. I don't know whatever happened to it, but it was like, if it stood up, it was probably three feet mm-hmm. tall. Raggedy Ann in her little dress and everything. Did you put yeah, it at the dinner table? Yeah, we always did. No, but I will say the doll that I still have in my house is my talking peewee that I was like obsessed with. Talk to peewee, t- took him everywhere, and I have talking peewees in my has living room. Right now. Without you, have you ever walked in? He's just like, ah! <laughs> not yet, because that's why he's still in my house. Although his voice box is kind of jacked, so when you pull it, he's like, "I know you are, but what am I?" It's oh no, horrific. So, you gotta replace those batteries. Yeah, we don't pull his pull string no more. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I was going to say, you know, as as soon as, you know, this year, there was a guy who was interviewed, uh, it was a priest that works in cahoots with this museum. And he said, you know, they were very special people. You know, I come into this museum to make sure that, you know, none of the spirits get out of the objects here. And 
I think it's Lorraine's love that keeps everything in place here. And I just help her with my prayers. So they've still got this money-making machine going saying, you know, the and good reason reputation. Why... Well, and then if you watch the devil made me do it, a part of that whole, how did they, you know, save the day at the end is because they love each other yeah, so much Yeah, because, you know, you have them being like, oh, I love you so much. And for what it's worth, it was like one of the final interviews before she died. They said, what do you think about these movies? And Lorraine said, the conjuring movies are very, very accurate. Mm. So then it's like, when you get to a point where you, Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, mm-hmm. you know, when you can control the narrative, then you go down in history as if, if it weren't for that woman coming forward, you know, everybody would have been like, oh, my gosh, they were such a power mm-hmm. couple, which mm-hmm. I always thought. And I'm now crushed to know wow. that they turns out they fucking suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that that woman did come forward uh, for mm-hmm. for lots of reasons. And I hope I would like to see that become like more a part of this story and more mainstream so these movies don't do as well because i don't think that their story should be making them tons of money well and then the other question is you know at what point does the story it's so if you liked what you heard consider supporting the show on patreon by heading to sinisterhood.com and clicking patreon in the top banner thanks so much for listening and keep it creepy sinisterhood